Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Welcome back once again to Fortress of Faith. This is part two of our segment dealing with the United Nations uh, passing laws to criminalize any, any, anything that is said against Islam. And our guest is Deborah Weiss. I interviewed her a number of years ago in Washington, D.C. Uh, she is, without a doubt, um, the most knowledgeable person on Resolution 1618. And she began introducing that to us yesterday in the broadcast. If you missed it, please go to FortressOfFaith.com and listen to the first part of her interview. Today we're going to get more into... Um, into Hillary Clinton's effort to try to push this along and get it passed and, and established into American law. Now, we had a huge development on that here just a couple of weeks ago in Congress, in the House of Representatives. They actually passed a law that is, you know, in partnership with the things we're talking about here today. And the effort is to stamp out any criticism against Islam. Anything negative said to, about Muslims will be treated as criminal and almost hate speech. And this is, I've been warning, I've been trying to prepare us. This is coming. I've seen it in Europe, and I am seeing it unfold here. It's in Canada. It's, it's now beginning here in the United States. These people are very uh, clever, and they've learned to manipulate our laws and to use them against us. And so you need to understand how this is unfolding. This isn't something that we should turn a blind eye to. We ought to be very aware of it and very concerned about it. And so listen now as we talk to Deborah Weiss on the subject of the United Nations and Hillary Clinton's involvement in this bill. Here we go. Okay, Deborah, now walk us through this thing called the Istanbul process. How did Hillary Clinton get involved in this? Where did it all start? In July of 2011, Hillary Clinton attended a high-level diplomatic meeting on Islamophobia, which was held in Istanbul, Turkey. There, she announced to the world that the State Department would host the first Istanbul conference in America, and that's exactly what it did. It was held in December of 2011. It was an international conference with approximately 30 countries and international organizations that attended, and it was primarily closed-door meetings held over a period of three days. Now, the whole purpose of this meeting was to discuss this resolution? Unfortunately, the whole purpose of the meeting was to come up with ways to implement the resolution, which, by the way, is pretty much unprecedented. Normally, U.N. resolutions stay in the realm of the theoretical, and they are not implemented in practicality, and they're certainly not implemented 
on a worldwide scale via, uh, via international conferences. So the purpose of this meeting was to share, quote-unquote, best practices and to come up with ways to have action-oriented plans for each country to implement in their own domestic policies and actions how they could put the ideas contained in Resolution 1618 into practice. Explain this to our listeners, because uh, I learned this from you, but I can't uh, disseminate this as well as you can, because I'm sure many of us get this idea that if the U.N. passes a resolution, in many ways we feel that's now law, and we all have to abide by these things, and that's not necessarily the case. So explain what the UN does and how that influences laws within different countries. As I said before, UN resolutions are not legally binding. They are considered legal documents. They're really shows of support by the countries that vote for them. And uh, for if it passes, it shows that the majority of countries did vote for it. And it's just political support for the ideas contained in the resolution. So the more often a resolution passes, or if it passes in different bodies, then the political weight of the ideas contained in them carry more weight. That's all. Okay, so she invites these Islamic countries in to discuss this, to figure out ways how she might implement the wordings of this resolution into American law. Right. I mean, it wasn't just the Islamic countries that came. The EU attended and other countries as well. And it wasn't specifically just so the U.S. could figure out ways to implement it. Presumably, all the countries there were there for the same purpose, to find out how they could implement it in their own countries. Obviously, the OIC is already implementing these ideas in their country times 100. And it's unfortunate that our government actually did either hear or determine, and we'll never know which came first since the meetings were actually closed-door sessions, but they certainly did wind up with policies and behavior changes subsequent to this conference that resulted in, for example, the purging of any mention of Islamic terrorism from all of our national security documents and training programs at taxpayer expense, the Department of Homeland Security, the State Department, the National Counterterrorism Center, and the FBI have all rewritten their training material and are no longer teaching anybody about Islamic terrorism because that's Islamophobic. And in fact, I worked with a guy once who was a consultant who used to train on counterterrorism. He was there with the government for years. Normally, the counterterrorism trainers are consultants. They're not government employees. And those that were working with the government for scores of years with very high ratings on their seminars, if they taught counterterrorism trainees about Islamic terrorism, they were slapped with the label Islamophobe, and they are no longer invited back under this administration. So now what they're telling everybody is that they should focus on terrorist behavior and, quote, de-link it from the underlying ideology that motivates it. And I don't know how much you know about terrorism or national security, Tom, but this is not only a very faulty idea, it's a dangerous idea because it's very hard to come up with a strategy to counter or catch in its early stages terrorism if you stay in the dark about the motivating ideology. Let me just ask you on a personal level, because uh, you're the only person I know personally that is a 9-11 survivor. I mean, you were there that day, ran for your life, literally. 
How does all this stuff make you feel? Well, to be totally honest with you, I'm not really that emotional about it, but obviously I've dedicated my life to a mission of uncovering it, educating people, and hopefully getting us back on course while we still can. Because while some people might think, oh, well, they're bigots, they want to say something nasty about Muslims or Islam, the fact of the matter is what's at stake here is nothing less than freedom itself and the existence of the American way of life. And right now, Tom, we are the only country on earth that still has true freedom of speech All of the European countries pretty much now have European hate speech laws, which serve as proxies for the blasphemy laws. So they're called something else. They might be called hate speech. They might be called denigration of religions or vilification of religions or public order laws. But in fact, they all provide deterrent punishments for insulting Islam. Now, obviously, the punishments aren't as severe as they are in the OIC countries. And in many cases, the punishments are civil penalties such as fines, rather than imprisonment. Nevertheless, you go to Canada, which is supposedly a free country and has a constitution that says it affords its citizens free speech, and if they say anything negative about Islam and a Muslim files a complaint in a human rights commission, they will be fined if they're found guilty, and they always are. And that's just north of us. And uh, we have a number of listeners uh, to our broadcast in Canada. And uh, I've heard from many of Canadians. They're worried for their own country, but they're very worried for America because they see us tying our hands behind our own back. And that's what we're doing. We're literally taking apart the things that have made this nation great, which is the freedom of speech and the protection in that area. And this resolution is out to destroy the freedom of speech. So Hillary Clinton invited this group over here. They had another meeting in London at the Canada House. What occurred there? Well, it's just basically more of the same. They're constantly meeting. They have the international Istanbul process proper. But they also had, for example, a ministerial meeting, which is just the high-level kings and ambassadors and uh, heads of state that meet for the same purpose. Then they have internal ones. In last November, they had, it it wasn't officially part of the process, but they did have in Saudi Arabia a symposium on how to combat defamation of Islam. In that symposium, they didn't even bother to try to hide the true purpose of it by calling it defamation of religions. They called it defamation of Islam, and naturally we had somebody go there as a representative to find out how to, how to do that. But it's going all, it's proliferating. Our policies are really dangerous because, for example, the National Security Memo, it used to say that militant Islam was the greatest ideological threat to America in the 21st century, and now that's been deleted. There's no mention of Islam to deny that there's any ideological link is very dangerous. You know, if you know anything about national security, Sun Tzu said that in order to win a war, you have to know yourself and you have to know your enemy. You have to be able to name your enemy by name and understand his goals and objectives. And I'm afraid that this country has really forgotten both, quite frankly, Tom. (laughs) I agree with you there. You know, I'm just wondering, can anyone say Benghazi? You know, know, with uh, all the things that we're hearing today, it makes perfect sense why President Obama and the administration cannot come out and say it was a terrorist attack and all these things. And the Obama doctrine on this 
you can see that he is buying into this resolution, this ideology. And the concerning thing in many ways, too, is that we're seeing many European countries adopt this. You mentioned it about the hate speech laws. It's taking shape. I wanted to say something about the hate speech laws because the minute anybody in Congress in America tries to pass a hate speech law, your ears should perk up. That cannot be passed under any circumstances because when it is passed, they're not going to say in the text of the legislation that you can't say anything about Islamic terrorism. What they're going to say is it'll be worded in very vague general terms, but when they have the floor debate, they'll say things like you shouldn't say mean things to gay people. You know, they'll make it sound very touchy-feely and we should all be nice to each other and you shouldn't say mean things to gay people. It'll sound all dandy. And the second it passes, you will no longer be able to criticize Islamic terrorism. You won't be able to criticize the genocide that's occurring to the Coptic Christians in Egypt. And you won't be able to criticize the human rights violations committed in the name of Islam, such as forced marriages of little girls, sometimes as young as age nine. So you have to be on the lookout for anything that sounds like a hate speech law passing in America. So when we come back after the break, uh, Deborah, uh, explain this thing. You mentioned it slightly uh, already earlier on in the interview, but uh, I want you to expound on this idea of defaming a person because our laws in our country deal with uh, you know defamation of a person, but this moves it to a new level where we're defaming a thought, an idea. Well, folks, we're going to have to stop here. But when we come back tomorrow, we're going to have Deborah talk a little bit more about this dangerous thing of defaming ideas. Muhammad's dead. He died 1,400 years ago. There's nothing you and I can say to him that should insult him. He's dead. He's in the grave. But his thoughts and his teachings are still with us. We're now moving into a very dangerous footing in our courts and in our laws because they're trying to defend these thoughts and make it a criminal offense to defame them. We don't have laws like that here in this country, but it it may come here, and it's very dangerous if it does. So join us again tomorrow at the corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.